Well, before we get into our passage this morning, I do want to remind you of our Christmas Eve service tonight at 6 o'clock. We're probably going to let you out a little bit early this morning um, to encourage you to come back tonight. And what a great time of year, isn't it? Um, this Christmas season and all that surrounds it and the time to be with family, the time to worship and honor our Savior and all that Christmas means to us as those who are Christians, as those who believe the Word of God. Well, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and we will look this morning, our text this morning will be verses 34 through 38. Luke, chapter 1, and verses 34 through 38. We are nearing the end of a year-long series on what is a disciple. We've been asking that all year long. Theologically and biblically, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to call him Lord, to call him Master? And as we near the end of this series, as we come towards the end of another year, towards the end of this month for Christmas, we have been looking at specific examples of what a disciple is. So we spent all this time asking what is a disciple, and for the last, uh, this will be the fourth week, the last three weeks, we've been looking at disciples in action. We looked at John the Baptist three weeks ago. Then we looked at the shepherds, and last week we looked at Joseph, and this week we look at Mary. And I think we would be hard-pressed to find a better example of what a disciple is than Mary. Mary teaches us about humble submission to God, humble submission to the will of God. And I want to read for us Actually, Luke 1, starting in verse 26, um, and then go through the end of verse 38, uh, because I want us to get the context and background of what is being said here. Plus, this is just a great passage to read on the day before Christmas. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be and the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, 
your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Our first point this morning is a submissive and willing heart. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, the Lord called out to a young boy named Samuel. In 1 Samuel 3 and verse 10, we read, The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The late theologian Charles Ryrie says of this verse, the Hebrew word translated listening means to hear with a view to obeying, to hear with the thought of obeying. So Samuel wasn't simply saying, okay, I'm listening. Samuel was saying, speak, Lord, for I am ready to obey. Often the Lord speaks to us as we read his word through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. I've shared this with you on a number of occasions, and it is so important. The primary way that God speaks to his people today is through his word, through the work of his Holy Spirit. If you were to do a systematic study of the doctrine or teaching of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, you would find that one of his roles is to illuminate the hearts and minds of believers so that we can understand God's word. We have been given a special gift, this illumination through the Holy Spirit who lives in us to be able to understand God's word and to approach the word of God as if he is literally speaking to us because, because he is. We read his word full of promises and commands and lessons of faith. And the Holy Spirit convicts us and prompts us. If you know Christ as your Savior, you know that. You have sensed that. You have felt that in your life. The Holy Spirit using God's word to convict you and to prompt you. But can we say, but can we say, speak, Lord, for I am ready to obey. That's how God wants us to approach his word, whether it is in our private devotions or as we gather in the corporate structure, the corporate body of Christ as we gather together for worship or whether we're in a small group Bible study or whatever it may be, one-on-one with someone else. Let us approach the word of God with the thought, speak, Lord, for I am ready to obey. There was a young virgin girl in the town of Nazareth who gave an amazing response to an amazing proclamation by the angel Gabriel. She said, she said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She was saying, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, I am ready to obey. Our age. The day and age in which we live is an age of skepticism, an age of doubt, an age where if it isn't scientifically verified by us, 
then we don't believe it. We live in an age of the denial of the supernatural. And in this age, Mary stands as a great example of purity, innocence, and childlike faith that deeply convicts and rebukes us. Oh, every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ should look at Mary and say, I want to be like her. I do. She is an example not just for women, but also for men. She is an example for all of us. Well, our second point this morning is Mary. And let me preface everything I'm about to say with the fact that Mary was the recipient of God's grace and mercy. Sometimes we elevate Mary to a status that is not hers to have. Oh, she was devout and God-fearing, highly favored by the Lord. But we must always remember that God, the ultimate reason that she bore the Son of God, that she was given this great responsibility and honor, is because God in his sovereign will decided to choose her. He was gracious to her. He was merciful to her. We can't look at Mary and say, boy, she really deserved that. None of us deserve the good things that God gives us. And I always want us to remember that about Mary. You know who Mary was? She was a sinful person in need of a Savior, just like we are. However, we do remember this, that God always opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And in that sense, in that sense, Mary was prepared. She was prepared to hear from the Lord. And I want us to take a few moments and think about Mary from what we are told in the Bible. Let's just take a few minutes and think about Mary. We know she was a virgin, so she was sexually pure. She was betrothed, legally engaged, to a righteous man named Joseph. Now, last Sunday morning, I spent a long time explaining what a Jewish betrothal was like, so I won't go back into all of that today. But she was betrothed, a kind of engagement, but far beyond our engagement today, a very legal arrangement that she had with Joseph. And she evidently came from a God-fearing Jewish home. How do we know that? Well, number one, we know that by simply her response to the angel Gabriel, this incredible, overwhelming message from God and how she responds to it. Secondly, we aren't going to look at it this morning, but in verses 46 through 55 of Luke chapter 1, we have what is known as Mary's song or Mary's poem, which has come to be known historically as the Magnificat. And in it, we see a deep understanding of God and his word. In the magazine which we make available to people here at the church, Israel My Glory, it says this of Mary. She was a maiden of profound humility and faith, as evidenced by her immediate submission to the will of God and her magnificent praise and knowledge of him, as recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Daryl Bach, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary in the NIV application commentary, says when you read the Magnificat, Mary's poem, Mary's song, there are numerous quotations and allusions to the Torah, or what we would call today the Old Testament, exemplifying that Mary 
had a deep understanding of God, a deep understanding of Scripture. And Mary reminds us that a daily humble walk with the Lord prepares us to listen to Him and to be used by Him. Do you long to be used by God? Oh, none of us will be used in exactly the same way that Mary was, of course, but I hope that all of us, every one of us here, longs to be an instrument in God's hand, to be used of Him for His kingdom and for His glory. And do you know when that begins? It begins today and tomorrow and the next day as we humbly love Him and walk with Him. There is no doubt that Mary loved the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, and with all her might. With all of her mind, with all of her being, Mary loved the Lord her God. And let us be reminded this morning that you can't live indifferently. You can't live a half-hearted Christian life and expect to be used by God. It just doesn't work that way. I hope that we would also long for him and desire him. That every day we would humbly walk with him. And then as he chooses in his sovereignty, he will use us in ways that are beyond our understanding. Think of what Mary is told prior to what she says in verse 38. And that's partly why I read the earlier part of that passage. In verses 26 through 33, we are told that an angel sent from God speaks to her. An angel. She is told she will be with child and give birth to a son. She is to name the child Jesus. She is told that the child will be great, the son of the Most High. The child will be given the throne of his father, David. The child will reign over a kingdom that will never end. Oh my, she is told all of that. Mary, you are going to have a child and this is who he will be. And then we pick up our text, our passage for this morning in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? How can this be, since I have never had relations with a man? And in verse 35, it says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. O oh Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to overpower you and overshadow you. And the Son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead, the creator of heaven and earth, is going to be in you. And then the angel adds this in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. She's a relative of Mary's. She knows Elizabeth. Mary knows Elizabeth well. Elizabeth was now older. She had never been able to have children, but now she is pregnant. She is in her sixth month. Oh, Mary, look at all that God is doing. And then the angel says, in verse 37, that timeless, eternal statement, for nothing will be impossible 
with God, or as some translations have, nothing is impossible with God. Remember that, Mary. Oh, let us remember that this morning. Nothing is impossible with our God. And Mary is told all of these things by an angel, a direct visitation by an angel who gives her a direct message from God. And on top of all this, all this, let us remember that Mary is most likely, most likely, between 13 and 15 years of age. This is always an interesting subject. How old was Mary when the angel Gabriel came to her? This is a subject I have preached on before and went back this week and just interested to see what different writers have to say. I looked at about eight to ten different conservative Bible sources on this subject with the question, how old was Mary at this time? And it was intriguing that the consensus is that Mary was in her early teens. According to the Zondervan Bible Encyclopedia, it says that it was common. It was common for girls at this particular point in here history in their Jewish heritage to be betrothed between the ages of 12 and 14. Now that seems unusual to us, but it was not back then. Girls often married very early so that they would have as many years for childbearing as they possibly could. Now, there was often a some separation maybe a year, sometimes two years, between a betrothal and a wedding ceremony, the actual coming together of the husband and wife. But the betrothal itself happened quite young, again, usually somewhere between 12 and 14 years of age, and then they were usually officially married somewhere before they were 16 years of age. And I tell you all of that this morning, not to get deep into that subject, but to have us sense the wonder here that this is a very young girl. This is someone between probably 12 to 16 years of age. And since she is just betrothed at this time, she was probably very young. And she has told all of these things. She is told all of these things, visited by an angel with a direct message from God. And our third point this morning is Mary's incredible response. Verse 38 ranks as one of the greatest expressions of pure faith recorded in the Bible. We have to keep coming back to verse 38 over and again. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What an incredible act of submission to the will of God. This young teenager who receives this incredible news that she is going to have a child as a virgin that he will be the greatest person that the universe has ever known. And she says, let it be to me. Let it be to me according 
to your word. And I just want you to notice, Mary doesn't argue with God. Mary doesn't say, I can't do this. And this is especially important in this age of entitlement in which we live. Mary doesn't say, this isn't fair. She doesn't say, this isn't fair, God. No, she submits. Can you imagine the awesome responsibility that was laid upon that young woman in that moment? I mentioned this last week with Joseph, and it is so true with Mary. Do we realize? Do we realize what this, the price that this young couple had to pay for Mary to be the mother of the Son of God? Oh, the rumors, the gossip, the lies that must have surrounded their relationship in her pregnancy. And yet she submits so willingly. What I want us to do this morning, on this day of Christmas Eve, is to try to enter into that moment with her. As much as we can with our holy imaginations, let us try to enter into that very moment when the angel comes to her and speaks to her. I want us to think Mary's entire future changed that day in that moment. All of Mary's plans and dreams changed. They did. All of Mary's plans and dreams changed. She was a young teenager. She had plans and dreams just like you do, just like I do. She probably had responsibilities as a young woman, probably chores to do, probably she was involved in some kind of education system, especially in the Hebrew culture and religious education. She thought about her future and what it be, would be like. She's betrothed to Joseph. I'm sure she dreamed about their marriage together and the children they would have together. And she's just going about her daily routine just like we do. And in a moment, in a moment, everything changes. God's plan for Mary's life, God's plans for her life were completely different than her plans. Whatever her plans were, God's plans were different. And God chose to radically alter the course of her life forever. I just want you to think about that. In one moment, the course of her life is radically changed forever. Let me ask all of us a question this morning. I think it's a good question for a disciple to ask. Who really owns your life? You or God? I want you to think about that very seriously this morning. Who really owns your life? You or God? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 through 20, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 
I want you to think of that next to last sentence. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are not your own. You are not your own. Let me ask you this morning. If God wants to change all of your plans and dreams, are you okay with that? Are you open to the possibility that God's plans for your life may be completely different than your plans? Are you okay with that? Maybe you're a teenager here today and you have plans for college. Maybe you're a little older and you have plans for your career. Or maybe you're in the midst of your career and you've got your career all planned out. Or maybe you're a little older and you have your retirement all planned out. You've got it all planned out right down to the T, how it's going to work. If God wants to change all of your plans and dreams, are you okay with that? Are you okay if what he wants for you is very different what, than what you have planned and what you have dreamed of? The beginning, it's interesting, the beginning of Jesus' life is marked by a mother who submits to God, who says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The end of Jesus' life is marked by the words that he expressed in the Garden of Gethsemane to the Father, Not my will, but yours be done. I want you to think of those two sentences. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Excuse me. Not my will, but yours be done. Do you know what those two sentences are? Do you know what those two sentences are? These are the words of a disciple of Jesus. Those are the expressions of someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, who calls him Lord and who calls him master. Isn't it interesting we talk about discipleship? And what a disciple might look like. And how we might disciple someone else. But underlying all of that. Underlying all of that. A disciple must submit himself or herself to God. A disciple must be submissive to the will of God. We are the servants of the Lord. Let it be. Let it be according to his word. Not our will, but may his will be done. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mary and all that she teaches us. I pray as we celebrate this Christmas, as we end one year and are about to approach another, oh Lord, help us to be submissive to you. Let us identify ourselves as your servants, ready to do whatever you say, ready to submit completely to your will, whatever that will may be. Oh, Lord, I know 
I know that there may be some here today who are struggling with that will. Maybe they have an unexpected illness or injury or something has happened in their lives that is not what they expected. Maybe this year has brought very unexpected circumstances. Oh, Lord, help us to believe that you love us with an everlasting love and you guide us as you see best. You will guide us according to your will and according to your plans. Oh, Lord, we submit ourselves to you anew this morning and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.